Morning, Glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. It's Hugh Hewitt in the ReliefFactor.com studio inside of the windswept Northern Virginia Beltway, where Michael exited stage right towards England last night after taking 200,000 people with power in southern Virginia and leaving a trail of destruction and tears from the panhandle north. I am joined by Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, hillsdale.edu, for all of your Hillsdale needs, and uh, his online course on Churchill, which is apparently very necessary reading for some people in America who thought Churchill got into this Kavanaugh business. Dr. Arn, before we begin with Justice Kavanaugh, though, Tragedy at this level is a little hard for people to grasp. But when you look and see that Panama City's gone, Mexico City Beach is gone, Tyndale Air Force Base, which was home to 3,000 people in the military, all their possessions are gone. What do you tell your students about tragedy and the suddenness of it? Yeah, well, you got to pick up and go again. But uh, that's, you know, when these things come through and they... The water is the big thing, you know, the wind, modern buildings don't really blow down all that much, but the water comes and that just, you know, you got to start over. What when, when England went through the blitz and large parts of it were destroyed and every night this terrible stuff would happen, how, how did they introduce resilience or was that just part of the national character already? Well, uh, you know, people don't like being bombed and uh, that, that makes <laughs> And that makes them dislike the people who are doing it. And so they got really resolute. Now, they, they uh, you know, Winston Churchill was prime minister of Great Britain, and he was pretty good at the job. So not only did he give eloquent speeches, it's also true that they came up with an insurance scheme, you know, and so you didn't bear the burden of that yourself. And the way it worked, you know, you can drive through London today, and if you see a, a cluster of old buildings and then an interruption with new buildings and then the old buildings resume that's a bombing pattern and if you go up a block and turn left and left again you'll see the same thing repeated in the next block over and so it just cuts swaths down of london and you know if you were in the line you got you got hammered but it was it was uh you know people wanted to know was so it's different than, you know, a natural thing like this. There isn't anybody with whom to get angry here. Well, I guess you can blame it on me for global warming or you. But, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, that was, there was a lot of that going on, by the way. Oh, uh, oh, and it, they forget the Labor Day storm of the uh, 1930s that destroyed a lot of Rhode Island. They forget Camille in the 60s. I mean, it, it's convenient. The Gulf goes up and down in different years. It's up this year, and that made it tougher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did, and uh, and it. If you live on the coast, you know, and what we see in this Michael thing is, living right on the coast is dangerous. If you live in, in the Gulf or on the Atlantic seaboard, but uh, if you know, if you live five miles in, that's not like you're enjoying wonderful coastal living. No, And uh, so those people are getting punished, and that's too bad. No, I talked this morning with a northern, with a uh, Virginia Beach family uh, because they have 200,000 people without, without uh, power down there. And so it started in Florida, went through Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and exited Virginia. That's just never happened before. That is a weird thing, and we're going to have to see the president respond to it. But now 
And I've told everyone, uh, TeamRubiconUSA.org, if they want to help out. Let's turn to the other tragedy, which was the violence done to the presumption of innocence. And I think this is a, and to the mob rule that was legitimized, uh, and to the difference between political rallies and chanting, lock her up, which I don't particularly approve of, but it's a rally and it's a chant, versus menacing Ted Cruz and his wife in a restaurant with the imminent threat of violence or the Antifa mobs in Portland. I think we've lost our capacity to distinguish, Larry, between political speech and political violence. Mm. Two, two weeks ago, uh, in a, I read something by Victor Hansen, and I heard a talk at Hillsdale by Charles Kessler, and they both used the expression cold civil war. And, uh, you know, this is like the early 1950s, right? And, 1850s, and, you mean? 1850s? Yeah, sorry, 1850s, yeah, 1850s. And what's the feature of it? The point is, we have to have an agreement that we're going to decide our political differences through a process. And the process has to be agreed in advance. And especially if the process is hallowed, then you don't want to mess with it, right? If if you read Lincoln's great first inaugural address, he says that the first time that uh, ballots ever replaced bullets in a fundamental political dispute was in 1800 in the United States of America, which I think is true. So... So the point is you're going to – so the, the people elect under the constitutional processes a majority in the Senate and a president of the same party, and he gets to elect a bunch of people on the Supreme Court. That can't be planned in advance. That's, you know, that's how the Constitution works. And so to obstruct the process, because you know, what, what I think is it was a shame for this thing even to be taken up, and the reason is – that, that lady seems like a fine lady and sincere, but there was no evidence for this, and it happened, you know, a human generation ago when Brett Kavanaugh was a, was a kid. So the thing is, that's something that you just would not be able to get to the bottom of. It, 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 is, it is a problem of proof at the very beginning that ought to have been recognized as insurmountable, but it was politicized. It was weaponized. I want to pause for a moment about Cold Civil War, because Victor and I have a disagreement about this, and Charles and I. I went out to Antietam two weekends ago, and that's a hot civil war. That's 23,000 <laughs> people dead in one day from the Dunker Church all the way down to Burnside Bridge. And even in the 1850s, we had... You know, John Brown and the bushwhackers in Kansas and stuff like that going on. We're not there, but I do think the warning about what happens when we don't realize that debate can be fierce, but you cannot menace. Uh, that is the constitutional test, by the way, in, in, the, in the Supreme Court, which is the intention and the ability to incite violence is illegal. It's not protected speech. That's right. That's right. And, you know, the so... I think I said this on uh, a couple of weeks ago, but in in the 1945, Winston Churchill lost the election to the socialist, whom he said would ultimately result in a Gestapo, and the socialists got 48 percent of the vote, and they got over 60 percent of the seats. And so, of course, the conservatives were rumbling about that. And Churchill gives them a speech. He's the leader of the opposition now, and he says, "We're not going to complain about that. This is the constitutional system." This is how they got in, and this is how we're going to replace them. And so, you know, it, it, contrast that with the denunci- denunciations of the Electoral College and now the Senate in the country, 
In other words, there isn't any constitutional arrangement that shouldn't be, that's not subject to assault in the interest of partisan politics of the day. Uh, it, 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 is, it is true. Everything is under assault. And if you're not on the right team, the media will absolutely demonize you. And by the media, I mean the broadcast networks with the exception of Fox. I mean the big newspapers. I mean the Beltway Manhattan media elite. They are of the left. And they will demonize you if you are not on the left. And they will protect you if you are. And Kanye West is finding that out big time on CNN, where they are mocking him in terms that were any other commentator to use concerning any other minority, they, that commentator would be off the air. Yeah, well, we do have the Donald Trump rule now. And that is anything can be said about him or anybody connected to him. And that's that's a new feature of American politics. Uh, repeat that. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. true. Uh, you can't go low. There's nothing so low about Trump that will get you thrown off the air. Yeah. Maybe that's an incitement right. of violence, maybe a threat of violence, that would do it. Yeah, well, that's a crime, as you said, and uh, not protected speech and uh, violence against the president is a particular crime. Uh so they don't they don't do that. But I mean, Lord, there's a movement to impeach Brett Kavanaugh going on right now, and and you know the uh, the chief justice has referred this uh, complaint that he did not manifest judicial conduct in answering the charges against him before the Senate. That's been transferred to the Tenth Circuit. But the point is, everything is going to be harassed at every step. And that's the tone of politics these days. When we come back from break, Dr. Larry R. and I will continue to talk about the choice that is now in front of the country. And it's very clearly the, the choice of the mob versus the choice of the, the Republican Party and how it will play out in Michigan with John James and how it will play out in Montana with Matt Rosendale and in Wisconsin with Leah Vukmir, how it will play out in Arizona with uh, Martha McSally. She's got to beat this left winger, Kristen Cinema. We'll talk more about that. It is a Hillsdale Dialogue. Don't go anywhere. And if I have a producer, we'll find McConnell talking to Dickerson last weekend and play that for him as well. Stay tuned, America. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. The news of the morning. Hurricane Michael has exited into the Atlantic, leaving a terrier of tears behind it. Donald Whirl is out, the Pope accepting his resignation, long overdue and must necessary, but he's still the, quote, apostolic administrator of D.C., proving that Francis really does not understand anything about America or the crisis of confidence in the church leadership here. And the market is set to rebound. I have Dr. Larry Arn as my guest. Dr. Arn is president of Hillsdale College, and he is, of course, my guest every last radio hour of every week that he can spare. Uh, all of the Hillsdale materials, including your opportunity to sign up for Imprimus for free, are found at hillsdale.edu. All of our conversations are found at hugh4hillsdale.com. So, Dr. Arn, I want to go back to the Brett Kavanaugh proceedings with you for a moment. Um, after the testimony of Dr. Ford, um, some time passed, and Brett Kavanaugh appeared, and he was angry. And uh, as a result of that anger, many people questioned his judicial temperament. 
And I thought to myself, if you had not been angry, then I would have questioned your judicial temperament because you'd been accused <laughs> of serial gang rape. Uh, I mean, the, the greatest <laughs> slander possible, actually, uh, to have been. But what was that? What, what is what is wrong with our commentariat in this regard? Yeah, well, we're supposed to bow, you know, to these things. And uh, you're not supposed to you're supposed to what, you know. I, I don't. I, I think it was a very good judgment not to attack Professor Ford. Uh, I think she didn't seek all of this. I thought Susan Collins' statement was eloquent about all of that. I thought it was dignified. I thought she had a fine moment there. And and the point is, this woman had. You know, she wrote a letter and she's troubled and she thinks she remembers something and she can't remember the details. And she didn't. She didn't try to thrust this thing forward. Other people got hold of it, and they did that. And I think they're blamable because, as I say about that thing, how are you going to how are you going to run the country if somebody uh, states allegations? And you know, I said there's no proof available. Well, it's a little worse than that, right? Because if you read that thing by the by the, the counsel for this committee that interviewed her, the details of her story are inconsistent. And you would, and you know, so there are some things that are verifiable that are not as she said. And she said more than one thing about things, and some of the things she said are mutually exclusive. Well, don't blame her for that. These are old memories about something painful. And uh, but but the truth is, to make that a cause to disrupt this thing is failure of the rule of law. Now, in terms of the presumption of innocence and due process, what uh, most astonished me about this is that so many people threw in so quickly with the idea that an accusation without contemporaneous corroborating evidence can be vetted in public without damage, not just to the accused, but to the process. I mean, it is it is nowhere in our tradition in the common law uh, to allow someone to convict via accusation. I mean, that goes back before the country was founded. If, and see, adjust the context a little bit, right? This is not a trial. He's not, nobody's brought charges against him. This is a political event. And it's certainly true that it's right, it's fine, to raise charges against him. And it's even fine to raise wild ones. But they... they one hopes that won't be effective. But look what happened here. He goes through uh, a, a set of exhaustive hearings. He is investigated. He interviews privately with every senator who was willing to talk with him. And then the other thing is he has a long career. This guy has a paper trail. And he's not some young guy just out of the blocks, right? He's, he's been a, So there's a huge amount of material. And it's obvious that they're getting ready to vote for him. And then this stuff is brought up. And that is not fair or a good political maneuver. And if you transferred that to what it would take to convict a guy of something, which is rightly a different standard than just making an argument about politics, then this is crazy because it would never go anywhere. Yeah. It would, and when we come back, we're going to play for you, um, you the seminal exchange in the media, John Dickerson and Mitch McConnell talking about judges and what people have to understand about the Constitution and the structure of the Constitution and why blocking that seat was right 
because the Republicans had the majority, and that's how we run things in the country, according to the Constitution. Stay tuned, America. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show with Dr. Larry Arnn, president of Hilldale College. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. That music means it's time for the Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Larry Arney. He's the president of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale are available at hillsdale.edu, including some amazing online courses, including Dr. Arn teaching about Churchill. And uh, I wanted to go there because this week, uh, the, uh, the husband of Gabby Giffords, the commander of the former space shuttle, made reference to Churchill and was jumped on by the online mob, and he apologized for citing Churchill and said something, I'm paraphrasing Mark here, to the effect he did not realize that Churchill was so offensive. And I immediately began to tell people, go watch the Churchill video. Th- that, this can't be allowed to happen, Larry Arn. Churchill cannot be turned into a pariah in history because he was a product of the 19th century and, and, and rose to greatness in the 20th. Well, first of all, isn't that a shining example of, of uh, public courage, this fella? <laughs> well, you know, he's a very courageous guy, but he folded online. He, he's, a, he's a Navy fighter pilot, astronaut, and, and you know, he's, he's walked with Gabby Giffords. He's an admirable guy, but he folded up because nobody wants to be thought to be a racist. And so if you say, oh, Churchill was a racist, people run away instead of saying, no, 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 he wasn't. No, he was not. Great Britain is perhaps the least racist country in the world. Yeah, so he, so the point is, I have little doubt that he's brave in con- combat, and if so, thank him for his service, right? Right. But the truth is, if you use a guy who does turn out to be a great guy, but never mind that, he doesn't know anything about that, apparently. Right. If you use a guy as an example, and you get resistance, then isn't it easy to just abandon that guy and join in the slanders against him? Why didn't he look it up? You know? I mean... He, he he apparently formed his opinions about something that happened two generations ago, right? So that means it's over, and you can go look it up. He formed his opinions about it from a Twitter storm. And what do they know, right? Yeah. I, I wrote a line in my book. I said, I can find no place in the, in the corpus of Winston Churchill where he said or applied, implied that the rights of anyone depended on the color of his skin. Yeah. And that's... I assert that today. Somebody find me the place where he said that. And I've been looking for 40 years now. So, <laughs> well, you're pretty slow. <laughs> that's not, uh, not going to prove up anything. <laughs> it's not, you, know, you know, when you open you, yourself up like that, I'm going to rush through. That's pretty yeah. rare that you show me the, the, the chink in the armor. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's a, slight neg- it's a slight logical problem that you don't understand, but proving the negative is difficult. <laughs> Okay. Ouch. I should have retreated when I had my point, right? That's <laughs> I should have taken my point and said, Jen. Um, all right, look, I got to play for this. This is the key media moment of the last, of the whole, the entire Kavanaugh meltdown is summarized with John Dickerson, who is as good as anyone on television is, and Mitch McConnell, who is great. And here they talk. In the history of partisanship on the Supreme Court, your decision to block Merrick Garland uh, is something they see as, as having kicked off a new stage in the partisanship associated with Supreme Court nominees. Yeah, they don't know much history. You have to go back to 1880 to find the last time 
a Senate controlled by a different party from the president confirmed a Supreme Court justice to a vacancy created in the middle of a presidential election. They also conveniently forgotten that Joe Biden said in 1992, when he was chairman of the Judiciary Committee, the Democrats control the Senate, Republican in the White House. If a vacancy occurred, they wouldn't fill it. They also conveniently forgot that Chuck Schumer and Harry Reid, 18 months before the end of Bush 43, said if a Supreme Court vacancy occurred, they wouldn't fill it. But Talk Mr. about Leader, hypocrisy. Right. But, Mr. Leader, I don't think that's right. In 1956, Eisenhower nominated Brennan. The, the 84th Congress was a Democrat controlled. And also on the Biden rule, Joe Biden was talking in the abstract. There was no nominee. No nominee was blocked. And he said to not have the nomination come up before the election, but that it could come up after the election. And so what Democrats say when they hear you doing this is they say he's creating new rules to essentially do what he wants to do. And as you've written in your book, The Long Game, when you do that, it actually hurts democracy. Yeah, well, that's not exactly that's not at all what happened, John. You're, you're completely misconstruing what happened. What I gave you is the history of this. I know the history of this. I've spent a lot of time on this throughout my career. What I did was entirely consistent with what the history of the Senate's been in that situation going back to 1880. Well, I, I think the 1956 example and also in 1968, later in the election cycle, when a Democratic president put somebody forward, the Republican leader worked with him to get that person a hearing and get him towards the Supreme Court, which is not something that you did. A vote at the time. Then there was a Democrat. Then there was a Democrat in the White House and a Democratic Senate. But the Republican leader at the not, time tried to help the Democratic me, president. John. John, you are not listening to me. The history is exactly as I told you. Well, we have we have a disagreement about the history, but I greatly yeah, we appreciate we greatly we appreciate. Do. Now, Larry Arn, here is the history. In 1968, when Abe Fortas was nominated in an election year, he was filibustered by the Republicans and the Democrats because of ethics issues. But there were 64 Democrats in the Senate in 1968, and the Republicans were not cooperating. They were conceding that unless they were to stop him via the uh, impeachment process, it was going to go forward because it was 64 to 36. In 1956, William Brennan was recess appointed because it had not moved forward under a Democratic Senate. So Mitch McConnell actually was right. And my friend John Dickerson was not. But there is abroad in the land a great ignorance about this basic fact. The Senate is a majoritarian institution that agrees to operate by supermajoritarian rules in some instances, rules which they can change, as Harry Reid demonstrated, on their whim, and which Mitch McConnell changed after Harry Reid changed them with regards to Supreme Court justices. And the fact of the matter is, I don't I think we will we will, if a God forbid, a justice drop dead three weeks before the election of uh, 2020, I think the Senate would confirm a replacement. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, so, first of all, re- remember what McConnell did. At the moment when he delayed Merrick Garland, it looked like Hillary Clinton was going to win the election, right? And so he wasn't... He was actually making the authority of the people more telling or stronger in the process. This is one of the things you get to choose when you vote for president. So the idea that he was trying to sort the people, he actually involved them more in the process. And I'll say it's, it's actually opposite because, you know, in the great, you know, the, the, I missed it earlier, the first time a, a opposition party 
threw out a governing party by a popular vote without violence was in 1800 in America. And the Federalist Party, which had built the country, for goodness sake, got hammered by Jefferson's party and Madison's party, who had also built the country. And so what they do, they have all these midnight appointments after the election, after they know they've got hammered and they've just got days to go, they stick a whole bunch of people in there and they don't get them all done. And that's what gave rise to the great court case, Marbury versus Madison. But they were, you know, that was an 11th hour thing you that betcha. went against a popular vote. This is the opposite of that. You betcha, but they were. It was both are legitimate, and and what I want to point That's to is right. the the rules are laid out. This is not secret. We operate under a constitutional structure that was meant to be read by and was read and debated by farmers, some of whom were not literate, but who would listen closely. And we overcomplicate this. This is the Senate has the right to not hold a hearing. The Senate has a right to confirm in one day. The Senate, whatever the majority of the Senate wants to do, the Senate can do. And the, and, and it's there's easy. an election. There's an election soon, right? And so, if they do anything the people don't like, the people can punish them right now, and that's what keeps this honest. You're right about that, right? And and if you uh, if, if uh, well, look look what McConnell has done, and he's proud of himself, right? Because the election, who would have predicted it all, right? The presidential election went the way it went, and then Harry Reid had changed that rule. I wish, by the way, that they would uh, restore the filibuster generally to its 19th century and most of 20th century meaning, and then they could pass a lot more laws, and when the other guys get in, they could pass a lot more laws, and then the people get a chance to choose. And it looks to me like McConnell has been maneuvering us toward a better position in regard to that. He's been doing, he's an absolutely amazing leader. And I know that some in our number on the right do not like him for reasons I cannot figure out. But he is a master of the Senate. He has set up, they, they confirmed 15 judges yesterday. There are 29 appeals court judges. I did the math last night, Larry. That's 75,000 Trump judge authored opinions over the next 25 to 30 years. Because each of those judges will author between 100 and 150 opinions a year, and each of them are going to serve between 20 and 30 years. That's 75,000 opinions at the appeals court level, and the Supreme Court only hears 60 to 75 of these things a year. So that's mostly where the law in the United States is made, is at that level. And Mitch McConnell, with Donald Trump and Don McGahn, who is the unsung hero here, has worked a revolution. That's it. Well, they were serious about it from the first minute. And, And remember this, too. Uh, Donald Trump, as a candidate, announced a list of the kinds of people he would pick. In other words, he has submitted his direction. Just like I said McConnell did a minute ago, they have submitted what they intended to do to a vote of the people under the Constitution. And the people, you know, elected him and, and the Senate to help him. When we come back from break, I'll continue this conversation with Dr. Arn about where do you go to get your reputation back? Because he's, he's a student of Churchill, and not a few times was Churchill laid low by allegations. And I'm just curious, what, what do you do if you're Brett Kavanaugh? I'll ask Larry on that when we come back. But let me remind you, we've got to get some cases up to the court. And they've got to be picked the right ones because they've got to be legit ones. We want to defend religious liberty. We want to defend property rights. We want to cut back the Chevron doctrine. Then you turn to good lawyers to do that. And that's the Alliance Defending Freedom. 
at the top of HughHewitt.com, they have a one-month challenge grant. Any donation you make via my website will be matched 100%. You make a $25 contribution, becomes 50 It's the kind of grant that Dr. Arm would love to have, I'm sure, at Hillsdale. But right now, it's at Alliance Defending Freedom, and they are out there as we speak raising money to make sure that these 29 new appeals court judges and these two new Supreme Court justices hear the right cases, because cases take a long time to set up. They're very expensive to set up. There are 4,000 affiliated attorneys of Alliance Defending Freedom, most of them listening to me right now. And they know that they give their time up to, I think, 300 hours a year or something like that for free, pro bono. But you still got to pay secretaries. You still got to pay the light bill. You still got to pay uh, FedEx to take the documents. You got to do depositions and you've got to have court reporters and you have a permanent staff and you got to train young lawyers. And Alliance Defending Freedom is defending this Constitution that Larry Arn and I are talking about. Please go and support them at Alliance Defending Freedom. The banner is at the top of HughHewitt.com. And if you're just old-fashioned, you just want to call and give them money directly, you can call 866-700-1060. 866-700-1060. Or go to HughHewitt.com and hit that banner. America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. It is the Hillsdale Dialogue. It is the last segment of the last radio hour of the week. Dr. Larry Arn is my friend and my guest. He is the president of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. All of our conversations dating back now to 2013, there are 240 of them, I believe, are found at hughforhillsdale.com. And these next five minutes matter a lot to some people. Brett Kavanaugh was injured. His reputation was injured. Yes, he is a justice of the United States Supreme Court. He will have 25, 30, 35 years, God willing, to write opinions that will be his legacy. But Churchill, whom you've studied your entire life, often was assailed by criticisms, some fair, mostly unfair. How did he deal with that, Larry Arn? Uh, well, he, uh, this is a, uh, this, this will be a controversial point with people, probably, but uh, we have changed the uh, libel and slander laws in America, as they have not done in England. And he would sue people if they said things that were not true. Oh, would he really? Oh, Oh, I did not know he was litigious. Well, not, you know, a huge amount, but uh, like uh, a fellow, uh, there's a good Lord Alfred Douglas, and there's there's another guy who wrote a book and, you know, accused him, said that when he was a little boy, the sentence was, he stole and he was beaten. And Churchill made him take that back. You know, this is like kind of kind of parallel to Kavanaugh, right? Yes. He, he wrote How in interesting. A book. Yeah, he wrote in a favorable book about Churchill that Churchill was a thief when he was in high school. And Churchill made him take it back. And, uh, you know, Churchill's emissaries went to see the guy, and the guy was prostrate before Churchill, you know, and he just, you know, he's trying to write a favorable book. And Churchill was tough about it. He demanded a complete retraction, and he got it. What was and this fellow's should, name? Uh, well, uh, there's another guy. I can't remember the guy's name, but there was another guy named Lord Alfred Douglas who was just always whipping up scandal about Churchill all the time. And they had litigation, and they were, and you know, but the thing is, if somebody, what we've done now is we have made it so that if you're deemed a public figure, then it's very difficult for you to, to have any relief if somebody tells a lie against you that harms you. And that is one of the reasons why the media is so unchanged. 
you know? I mean, on both the left and the right. There you know, I, I actually like New York Times B. Sullivan because I'm in this business. And I can say right now that, you know, Larry Arn murdered someone last night in Michigan, and you can't sue me. <laughs> You probably could, because that, that would be knowing disregard of the facts. But I could come pretty doggone close to that in any other. You know, you can just make wild assertions in, in American media. And we are beyond touched because of New York Times. We saw that. I like that. But that is not the case in Great Britain. And if you, you know, so Kavanaugh, you know, he, he, he's got children, right? And he yes. is damaged by this. Your, your point is not just that. He might not have got confirmed on the Supreme Court. Nobody has a right to that. Right. But your point is his personal reputation has been harmed. Exactly. And he will ever after be the person who, you know, was accused of these things. Right. And there'll never be resolution of it. And that means his children will be on his side. But how better if he chose to do it for them to be able to say, they had to retract that because that wasn't true. Yeah, right? there's there's and, a trade off here um, because uh, it, it is true. Thirty years from now, someone will be using the Avenatti claims against the kids to hurt them, to injure them. Right? They'll say, "Oh, you're yeah. dead." We all know that. And 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 I knew that what was weighing on him because you and I are both fathers, right? And so yeah. we know that that weighs on a parent that what people say about you will be used against your children. And so I understood his anger, and I would have been stunned if he was not that angry. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, you, you, I urge you, because you run your show in a certain way. In other words, you don't go around slandering people no, all the time. No, don't. Oh, just and, you. And, uh, yeah, you know. Who are you well, talking to? Yeah. But, yeah but, and Dwayne doesn't really count because he's not really there. <laughs> So it's you and me and Dwayne. That's our whole field, right? <laughs> and anybody else. But the point is, you should surrender your affection for that Supreme Court opinion about New York Times versus Sullivan, because that thing is a bad thing. Because you have a right. You have a right, and I have a right to our reputation, and it cannot be harmed. We have a remedy if it is unjustly. We still have a remedy. You know what? You have just set up a great debate. I'm going to get you and Erwin Chemerinsky to debate this with uh, with me and, and John Eastman. I think that Eastman's with me and Chemerinsky's with you, but I might have that reversed. I've, I've done this. This does break people down along unusual lines. I know. Lines. I said that. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. And that's the reason because there's just, just a lot of foolishness in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, I'm glad we're ending on, on a lighthearted note. We, we do have to return to this subject next week. I am glad. Uh, by the way, any of your students affected by this hurricane? Uh, of course. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I want to close by sure. urging everyone to please go to TeamRubiconUSA.org and help them help everyone down there. Larry Arn, it is always a pleasure, Dr. Arn. Everything Hillsdale is found at Hillsdale.edu. I'm